Are you ready? A shot of wrestling. Episode 115. Let we go. Step up to the break. We got MJP and Green Man. It's the brain and tripping and chip team. From my land to Japan and everywhere in between. Get the up-to-date news on the wrestling scene. So take a shot, boy. Is that the message you got? We are about to go live. Are you ready to rock? So take a shot, boy. Is that the message you got? From the fans to the fans. Let me hear the crowd. Pop, so take a shot. Fourth, be with you. Boom. That's right, folks. It is Star Wars Day, May 4th. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys celebrated it. Your boy here is having a grand old time. Yeah, Star Wars on the big screen. I got my Star Wars mug. I got my Death Star ice mold in said Star Wars mug. I got my Star Wars socks on. I got a Star Wars t-shirt on. Hell, keep it 100. I got Star Wars underwear on. I'm fully celebrating, fully embracing today. Star Wars Day, May the 4th. And for some reason, you've never seen Star Wars or celebrate Star Wars Day. Well, one, clearly you don't exist because that's unheard of. But let us know at Michael J. Putty on Twitter and the Instagram. Why haven't you seen Star Wars? Star Wars is one of the greatest movie franchises of all time. Speaking of movie franchises, though, moving on right quick. Avengers Infinity War came out. Told you last week in episode 114, I was going to go see it. Last week I saw was Civil War. So I missed a whole bunch of movies. Thought that I'd be lost. Surprise, surprise, I wasn't lost. I was lost getting there, however. Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? So like I said, my friend got an extra ticket. But he got it in Roosevelt Field Mall, which is right next door in Nassau. A popular hangout spot of the Long Island IZ himself, Zack Ryder. So I've never driven there before. So this is the first time driving out there. Traffic was a bitch. I thought I didn't have time. I wanted to leave around 12. The movie's at 1.15. I thought, let me leave at 12. Give me an hour to get there. Way more than enough time. Of course, I'm always late. So that doesn't happen. I leave around 12.30. So the way I know to go, traffic was backed up. It was a standstill. So I go, try to go another way. That wasn't working. Try to take side streets. Apparently, side streets stopped at a dead end at one point. So it was forcing me onto the highway. <sighs> Man. So now I'm running late. And I get there. GPS brings me to the location. Boom. Plenty of parking. Find a spot, no problem. I don't, just don't know where I'm going. Nothing looks familiar. I don't see a movie theater in eyesight at all. No signs for a movie theater even. So I get out, I park, put it on my GPS walking directions, start walking there. And you know, it's uh, not changing. Nothing's moving. It's not bringing me any closer. So I keep walking for a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I'm already late. I'm already missing the fucking commercials, probably. So I finally stop and ask somebody, where's the movie theater? They go, oh, it's on the other side of the mall. Fuck. So I start double-timing it, trying to still follow this map on my GPS for some reason to the other side of the mall. I'm walking around, I'm walking around, it's hot, I'm already sweating already. And finally I'm walking, walking, nothing's looking familiar. Still no signs for movie theater. Finally I have to stop, after like 10 minutes, finally I stop, ask somebody else, where's the movie theater? What'd you know? They said, oh, it's on the other side of the mall. Oh, it's by Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, I parked by Dick's Sporting Goods, okay? So I literally made myself go all the way to the other side of the mall for no reason, only to go back to where I started from. Now I don't know where I am. I'm disoriented. So I see a valet. I asked the valet. He has to know, right? 
So I asked the valet, where's, this, where's the uh, movie theater? He goes, oh, it's on the other side of the mall. You might want to cut through the mall, though. It's by dicks. Once again, fucking dicks. I'm parked by dicks. So I'm cutting through the mall. Don't see any signs whatsoever. See some guys outside T-Mobile with the T-Mobile shirt on. I asked them, hey, you know, where's the movie theater? Oh, it's uh, on the other side. It's by dicks. Once again, I reiterate, I parked by dicks. Movie's already started. I think I'm missing 20 minutes now. Finally, I see a sign that says the movie theater. I walk towards it, make my way outside, make my way to the theater, go in. You know, it's movie started at one fifteen. I think it's almost like 2 o'clock. Oh, I'm sorry. It's like a quarter to 2, one fifty maybe. So I missed the commercial. I missed the preview. So I think I missed 15, 20 minutes of the movie. But it was good. I enjoyed it. Wasn't lost, like I said. Didn't really miss much. I'm sure I missed a couple things. But for not seeing those movies, I was okay. I wasn't lost. I wasn't confused. I was good. Good movie. Definitely check it out. I'm sure most of you have seen it by now. As much as I want to talk about it, I'm not going to. Give you guys a couple more weeks. One more week for spoilers. But man, I think I have a new favorite superhero. Good movie. And I kept reading articles about how all of them are signed for Avengers 4. And once again, I think Captain America's Civil War was the third Avenger. So I'm thinking this is the end. No, man, we got one more Avengers movie coming out. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what the storyline is going to be. I'm all in a tizzy. So, uh, I'm looking forward to it. If you guys have seen Avengers Infinity War with more knowledge than I have, let me know what you think at Michael J. Party Twitter, Instagram, or, you know, dial it up 619-343-3005. Let us know. But definitely check it out. And speaking of things you guys have to check out, this week, episode 115 marks the return of Green Man's interviews. Now, back during episode 113, when we had Jeff the intern here, he told a story about how he met the subject of this week's interview. Let's take a listen. Joey Janela's Spring Break. Two. It's two. Yeah. So, one, two. Uh, again, I sat in, in the back, and I sat next to Mike. Oh, I can't think of the Quacken guy. Bush? Huh? Quackenbush? Quackenbush. Quackenbush. Thank you. He was the uh, co-founder of uh, Chippewa. What's it? Uh, Shikara. Shikara Wrestling. Chicago, yeah. Chicago, Chicago, Chicago Wrestling. And I spent 20 minutes talking to Mike Quackenbush, and I befriend him. I buy his book. And supposedly he was like, look, anytime you, you want to do a booking, uh, I'll happily uh, do a booking on your podcast. So we have Mike Quackenbush. That's right, Jeff. We do, in fact, have Mike Quackenbush. And with a career that spans 20 years in the business, he is the founder of both the Wrestle Factory and, like we mentioned, Chicago Wrestling. And back in 2016, Sports Illustrated ranked him number 78 on the top 101 wrestlers of all time. That's pretty impressive. And we have him here on a shot of wrestling. So, great man. Take it away. That's right. This is the face of the franchise of A Shot of Wrestling welcoming you to another exclusive interview. Tonight, I am also joined by our intern because without him, this interview would not even be possible. But before we get to our guests, just want to tell you a few ways you can continue to support your boys here at A Shot of Wrestling. It's pretty simple and it's free. All you have to do is... Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at A Shot of Wrestling or Shot of Wrestling, no A on Twitter. This show has always been from the fans and to the fans, and it's your forum to discuss your thoughts. So we have a few ways for you to do that. You could join our Facebook group or dial it up, 619-343-3005. 
finally, and you want to just send us an email, you could do that too. Just inbox at ashotofwrestling.com and we'll respond to you as quickly as we can. We have always said on our show that wrestling brings us together and today is no different. Today, we are joined by an author, podcaster, professional wrestling trainer, promoter, and a semi-retired professional wrestler, better known as the master of a thousand holds, Lightning Mike Quackenbush. Mike, welcome to A Shot of Wrestling. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, please. It's our pleasure. Now, the journey of us getting together really started at Joey Janela's spring break during WrestleMania weekend. And we actually had our table set up next to each other. And you and our intern got to know each other very well. Now, our intern knew into learning a little bit more about the indie scene and more about professional wrestling, really didn't know much about who Mike Quackenbush was. So you want to fill us in on a little bit of what that conversation between you two was at Joy Janela Spring Break. Sure. Yep. Jeff and I happened to be located in like a dark corner of that gigantic hall, which in hindsight, when you consider how important location is for marketing and success, maybe we should have moved somewhere else. But there we were kind of sequestered. and We had plenty of time to chit chat both before uh, and during and after Joey Janela's Spring Break 2, which was uh, the main thing that brought me down to New Orleans. I was also teaching a seminar while I was down there. So we had a chance to connect a little bit, and I got to hear a little bit about what you guys have been up to on A Shot of Wrestling, and Jeff got to hear a little bit about what I do. In particular, I happened to be there slinging uh, my latest book. So we were just kind of conversing back and forth, and before you knew it, everything started to blossom, and here we are. Yeah, also speaking of which, I ended up uh, buying a copy of your book, which is Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, of course, by yourself, Mike Quackenbush. Uh, one of the first questions I have is, inside the sleeve, you dedicate your book uh, to Jamie Campbell. Can you quickly explain who uh, Jamie Campbell is? I'd love to. Jamie Campbell is a stand-up comedian and an improviser. He, for many years, was based out of Chicago, Illinois, and he appeared on a podcast hosted by great improviser Jimmy Corain. It's called Improv Nerd. Uh, and I can tell you, hands down, I have never been so moved by a, a, an interview as I was by Jamie's. Um, Jamie went through an unbelievable childhood, which included being abducted um, and enduring all kinds of horrific abuse. And yet somehow he is able to get up as an adult in front of uh, big rooms of people and make them laugh. He's able to share parts of his story, some of which can be very harrowing to hear him recount. And yet he's able to turn that sorrow and that tragedy of his into comedy. I don't doubt that, you know, I, I realize lots of people go through all kinds of horrible upbringings and such. But to hear how fearlessly Jamie goes out there and is willing to share his story and does so unabashed, he really does it as a way of owning some of his, his uh, really horrible history and putting it out there and converting it into something that maybe is therapeutic for other people to hear, I think is absolutely remarkable. A few years ago, when his stand-up tour brought him to Philadelphia, and I live just outside the city of Brotherly Love, I made it a point to find him and take him out to dinner, and we've become friends ever since. I continue to be inspired by his work, and although now, I believe he's uh, located out of Kansas City, 
If you ever have the chance to see Jamie Campbell on tour, whether he's with Comedy Sports, an improv troupe where he performs, or doing his solo stand-up show, it's worth your time to go out and hear what this remarkable guy's got to say. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I'm going to be honest that I have not read the entirety of your book yet. I've only read up to halfway through Chapter 3. Uh, I've noticed that uh, you claim to not have a business background, but you write your book like a self-help book, considering I'm not a wrestling performer. Have you actually read any uh, self-help books uh, that helped uh, you put this book together? Not books, but certainly there have been tons of podcasts, like Jimmy Corain's Improv Nerd or Todd Henry's Accidental Creative, which is a wonderful podcast designed for creative professionals, like we are when we're podcasters. We must convert our ideas into value. That's how we monetize it, right? So whether you're writing for wrestling, you're creating wrestling characters, or you make a podcast about pro wrestling, you must convert your creative ideas into value. And Todd Henry's podcast, The Accidental Creative, has been really influential, helping me kind of uh, shape what my vision is for the work and for what I do all across professional wrestling, because uh, I wear a lot of different hats in pro wrestling, and sadly, less and less these days, that hat is performer. There are plenty of other hats that I must wear as well. And the book, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, is kind of like an expression of things I've really learned over the last five to ten years as a coach, as a trainer, as a producer, as a writer, and as a performer. Uh, I want to touch a little bit on the uh, monetizing aspect that you brought up. I recently, mm. on my way to WrestleMania, I sat next to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat on my plane ride from Tampa to New Orleans. When I was I with him, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, it was, yes. it was a great experience overall. Uh, we, I actually uh, talk about it in the most current episode of the uh, podcast that we just released. But my question to you is when I asked him to be on the show, his initial response was, I don't do podcasts because we're giving away free money. What is your takeaway on that idea? Well, I do understand his point of view, right? That that content could be considered premium and therefore it should be monetized. And something that I, I think may be true of a particular generation of wrestlers, and maybe Ricky Steamboat belongs to this generation, it might be more than just a single generation, is the idea that, um, oh, well, it's easy to convert this type of stuff into dollars and cents. Uh, I often remember when I was first starting out in independent wrestling, and I broke in in 1994, being in locker rooms with the likes of Jimmy Superfly Snuka or King Kong Bundy or Virgil, or guys that felt like, Everything I do can be turned into money, and that might be true if you have a lot of television equity built into your personal brand. But for aspiring podcasters like us, who are just trying to build a brand, whether it's here on A Shot of Wrestling or, for example, I make a podcast about Chikara called Deep Blue Something, as we're trying to create value in that, there isn't enough there yet to monetize. And we might be able to get there. We might be able to attract sponsors, but we must first build a following. We have to discover an audience. And we have to prove that that audience, if we endorse a product, are going to show up. And then we demonstrate that value to our sponsors. So that might be very easy, because if you put Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's name on a poster, people are going to buy tickets. People will pay that money. But we may not be there yet. A shot of wrestling might not be there yet. Deep Blue something might not yet be there. And we need to give valuable content out for free to attract that audience before we're able to monetize it. Well, well said. Uh, now, you mentioned you started your career in 1994. So that's 24 years. You're a 24-year veteran. And now, five years ago, you went into semi-retirement. And 
Now, we just recently saw you perform at WrestleMania weekend for Joey Janela Spring Break 2. What motivates you to come out of retirement and do these these one-off matches? Well, when I walked away from performing, it was because I'd really been hobbled by a series of injuries, one of which was that I had shattered my right leg in Secaucus, New Jersey, one of which is an inoperable wrist injury in my left side. I have a very small bone called the lunate bone, which is twisted 90 degrees the wrong way, and it cannot be repaired unless they put a metal pin in my wrist, um, which sounds awful. Uh, and I've also had a really harrowing string of concussions. So when I considered all of these things, I thought, Maybe there's a chance for me now to put some of my other talents to work. I need not only depend on my ability as a performer, but, uh, you know, I, I, I run a training school in Philadelphia called the Wrestle Factory. And, and some of my most famous graduates are probably known to you. Cesaro, Drew Gulak, etc. Um, I have uh, other skills within the professional wrestling art form that I can bring to bear and hopefully convert into value. And so I wanted to focus on that as my body felt really broken down. However... Maybe three years into this self-imposed retirement, a dear friend of mine, a legend of British wrestling, who really cut his teeth during the world of sport era, uh, and one of the very finest technicians to ever lace up the boots, Mr. Johnny Kidd, had asked me if I would face him in what was meant to be his retirement match. And I felt very flattered by this request. This is someone who I look up to. It's someone who I admire and I have a great deal of respect for. And when John asked me to do that, I thought, I guess I better put on the sparkly pants. Um, there's not going to be another opportunity quite like this. And since then, maybe just a handful of times each year, someone has been able to tempt me to put the sparkly pants on again. For example, in Drew Gulak's final match before he departed for the WWE, and he performs now on 205 Live in their cruiserweight division, he asked if I would wrestle him, and I found it very difficult to refuse my student. Um, and there have been others along the way. Uh, and, and that's really a lot of the reasoning behind the match that you saw when we were down in New Orleans just a few weeks ago when I decided to wrestle David Starr as well. Yeah, well, as we're getting deeper and deeper into the world of professional wrestling and, and getting to know a lot of the professionals, the talent, the announcers, the, everybody from the ring crew, um, there is a certain kind of camaraderie that comes in when you enter certain buildings. And I think that's something that's, uh, a lot of people have said about the Shikara locker room, you know, that everybody is very friendly, that it's all about, you know, introducing yourself and you know it, it's something that may be unique to you got to you but how do you create that environment in your locker room we have to model it from the top down the senior guys the veteran performers they have to model that behavior for the guys coming up and when and, and i know this when i was starting out in independent wrestling some of the guys who were bigger name stars in independent wrestling than I was often modeled very poor behavior. They had terrible etiquette. And uh, you can be influenced very easily like that early on in your wrestling career. And I do talk about this a little bit in the book. You're kind of making all these choices while feeling a certain level of fear. You are afraid to make a mistake. You are afraid to offend someone. You are afraid that you're going to lose your spot, your booking. You're, you're constantly afraid. And sometimes, you know, that can make you feel a little introverted. It might make you feel paranoid. Uh, I know a lot of people in professional wrestling that, that feel an overwhelming paranoia about those kinds of things. But you've got to get to a point where you have to 
you know, realize with a certain amount of confidence, like, yes, I can walk around and introduce myself to everyone and say hello and ask how they've been since the last time that I've seen them. Even when you're intimidated, you look around like the backstage area of Joey Janela's spring break. There were more than 50 professional wrestlers back there, some of whom of, of really great international renown. Uh, you might be intimidated. You might look around and think, oh, gosh, I was a fan of that guy. Um, one of my very favorite American tag team matches of all time took place in January of 1994 on Monday Night Raw, and it pitted Marty Jannetty and the 1-2-3 kid against the Quebecers. And one of the Quebecers was backstage. At jo Joey Janela's spring break, Pierre Carlulet, who used to perform as Jean-Pierre Lafitte. You could very easily, in that instance, have thought, oh, gosh, I'm intimidated, right? I used to watch this guy on TV when I was a kid. How do I go up and not sound like a goof? Um, but you've got to get to that point where you realize there is a brotherhood to professional wrestling. There is a camaraderie. I, I mean that free of gender when I say brotherhood. There is a camaraderie to it. It's like having war buddies. No one else will ever know exactly what this very bizarre experience is like, where you slog from town to town and you put on your gaudy spandex, and most of the times you're not really doing it for money. You're doing it for the love of the craft. You're doing it for the opportunity to stand in a room full of strangers and try to entertain them. And not a lot of people can relate to that experience. It's probably very similar, you know, if you were like a traveling band trying to break out. You got your demo out, you're hoping to get picked up by a label, and you share the bill with other bands. You have an experience that really only other musicians will understand. And it does feel like that way, the camaraderie of independent wrestling. And it's important to, like, engage in that, to socialize in it. And during the years that I was not performing very actively, just a few years here in the rearview mirror, I think that's one of the things I missed most of all, was the ability to kind of get out there and shake hands and socialize and say, hey man, like, what have you been up to in the two years since I last saw you in that weird hall in Cincinnati, Ohio? How have you been? Um, I, I've, I've missed those interactions, and it gave me a great deal of joy to be out there in New Orleans, reconnecting with so many old friends and acquaintances. Well, as I said, I read a decent amount of your book. I wish I had time to read all of it because I sadly couldn't find it until uh, last night. So I apologize for that. But I was doing my best to research and read as much as I could up to this moment. Um, I actually went to school for business, and I have a degree in business. And your book reminds me of a book that I read, which was called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. In Dale mm. Carnegie's book – he takes stories from outside of business, just personal stories, and relates them to business to help people understand. You kind of do the same thing in your book, especially with uh, talking a lot about uh, Bret Hart. Uh, mm -hmm. Besides talking about, I mean, I mean, going into like the Bret Hart, more of my question was, did you grow up as a Bret Hart fan or a Shawn Michaels fan, or did you kind of just like lean towards more Bret, but you appreciated Shawn also as the same? Well, in that era, my real favorites were like the one, two, three kid and Owen Hart. I was a huge fan of Owen Hart's. And of all my wrestling idols, he is the only one I never got to meet. He passed away before I had the chance to ever meet Owen Hart. But as time went on, I became a great admirer of Bret Hart's. And uh, I was certainly not a Shawn Michaels guy. At the, in the era that I was getting involved in professional wrestling, my debut was May 20th of 94. Uh, this is at the very beginning of an era where Shawn Michaels and unfortunately like his backstage machinations, which he's very open about in his autobiography, um, begin to color what you see on screen at, uh, coming out of the World Wrestling Federation. Like Hulk Hogan before him, uh, he was often a very um, shrewd politician backstage to make sure that things went the way that he wanted them to. And there's something about that that I found to be very odious. 
And so I, I disconnected from Shawn Michaels. And as I watched him rise to prominence, oftentimes on the heels of nothing other than his own political maneuverings, I felt very resentful toward him. Um, one of the other guys uh, that was a longtime roster member at Chikara, he's currently a writer for the WWE, was a big advocate of this. He says, Bret Hart was the most important wrestler uh, of the 90s because of the frequency with which current wrestlers refer to his body of work. People might say, oh, you know, uh, you remember that finish from Brett and the Bulldog at SummerSlam 92? And you say that, and a room full of wrestling aficionados and pro wrestlers know the exact pinning combination that you're referring to. Um, his work is indelible. And so I have gone back and grown to have a greater appreciation for his body of work in hindsight. Uh, I, I can watch it, one, with my fan goggles on, which is very important. That's the era of wrestling that I fell in love with, early 90s WWF, the tail end of Hulkamania and the beginning of the new generation. But I can also watch it with my performer, my analytical eyes, uh, and I can enjoy those bouts in two different ways. And over time, I have become quite a fan of Bret Hart's. Now, looking at your, your brand, Shakara, you're one of the founders on it. It is something completely different than we, we normally see. You, you're... You're an organization that really focuses on creating the characters, storytelling. Is this something that was part of the mission statement at the concept of Shikara, or is this something that started developing over time? No, it developed over time. In the very beginning, we were throwing anything against the wall in the hopes that something would stick. Um, and my co-founder, Tom Carter, who had great renown uh, in the 90s anyway as an independent wrestler named Reckless Youth, he was only part of the business for the first eight months that we were in existence. And then um, he, he has an outside job. Uh, he's, he's a very capable accountant and pursued uh, other interests away from Chikara. And then his independent career kind of dwindled and faded by 2003, I would say. Every once and again, he was persuaded to put on the tights and flip around, but quite rarely. So after he was gone, it, everything sort of fell into my lap. And then I felt like, you know, I better come up with a really distinct creative vision here because this idea of us trying everything really means that we have focus on nothing. So I went to those tropes that I enjoyed best. I grew up as a comic book reader, an avid fan. Uh, I, I read tons of Marvel titles and tons of DC titles. And the ones that always spoke to me were the group books, team books, or that is to say writing for an ensemble. I was a devout reader of X-Men, Justice League, Teen Titans, the West Coast Avengers, the Defenders, etc. So all of those as general storytelling tropes were familiar to me. And then I like to take influence from whatever type of pop culture I'm taking in at the moment. And as that initial aesthetic of Chikara was forming, there was probably no more television series as powerful in my personal sphere as Lost on ABC. So I wanted to try and take elements from that sort of, right, like that nuanced storytelling where the focus shifts from one character to another by each episode so that it doesn't feel like, oh, they really just have one unique star that they're pushing very hard, which I think right now, as an easy example, we can all kind of look at the handling of Roman Reigns on the main stage over the last two to three years. There is a, um, an out-and-out -out emphasis on trying to create him uh, – as a superstar, right? Like, can we make him really ascend to the level of The Rock or Steve Austin or John Cena or any other of those um, really focal point characters? Whereas Chikara, you really see it's like the entire ensemble. The stories are written that way. The characters are developed that way. Somebody has their time to shine and then that spot kind of rotates away and someone else takes center stage for a while. And in that way, it kind of keeps the story fresh. 
As you say, uh, storytelling is a very important factor of help upbringing a wrestling promotion like Shakara, but also is marketing. Like, as we talked about uh, briefly, and maybe we can talk a little more, is also smart marketing. One of the things you did, because I'm a big fan of Botchmania, is that you contacted Botchmania and you asked to do um, sponsoring for them, and you would be the opening of every Botchmania episode. Uh, mm-hmm. What made you realize a show like that or marketing in general? When, where do you pick your spots in marketing like that? Well, that's a good question. And I think the reason Botchamania appealed to us is certainly at Chikara, we wear our sense of humor on our sleeve. Um, although I disagree with this summary, we are oftentimes tagged as a comedy promotion. And I think the reason for that is we've had a handful of YouTube clips, which often feature funny moments, go viral over the years. Um, like they get featured on, like right now, season three of Crash Leets on Nickelodeon has shown two clips of Chikara. Um, so those kinds of funny clips, which are shareable, right? And they're easy to write a funny caption and pass it on in your Twitter stream. Um, those often go viral. I, I don't think of us as a comedy promotion. And I bet if you ask the 52 active pro- uh, performers on my roster, they would tell you, no, we're not. Um, we might be very comic book-like, but I don't think our anyone other than maybe our grandparents' generation think of comic books as funny books anymore. In in an era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't know who summarizes comic books in that way anymore. Nevertheless, uh, Matthew and Botchamania uh, have that tongue-in-cheek sense of humor. They are not afraid to laugh at themselves, and sometimes wrestling can be quite absurd. There have certainly been times where we have lampooned the absurdity of professional wrestling in Chikara. So that shared aesthetic made them sort of an obvious choice for us. Absolutely. And through this conversation, you've mentioned that there are a lot of hats that you wear. And one of the hats that you are becoming more known for later in your career is being that coach and being that person that people look up to, to really guide their career. Uh, you went to NXT as a coach to, um, as a visiting coach. Is that correct? I was a guest coach for a week down at the WWE's Performance Center, and then I got to go on the road with NXT, working backstage, producing, and doing that sort of work, too. Is there anything from your experience there that you took away that was important and valuable that you're coming back to teach your students? And is there anything that you think you left behind there that is important for the new crop of superstars that we may be seeing in the WWE very soon? Absolutely. Um, it was such an eye-opening experience to be down there. And I think when you're outside of the machine, um, and that's really the first significant interaction I ever had with the WWE. Um, it, earlier on in my career, there was a brief period of time where my then tag team partner and I were flirting with an offer from Paul Heyman's ECW. And ultimately, we decided not to take it. Uh, a year thereafter, we had the opportunity. We could have gone to Atlanta for WCW and done a dark match before a Monday Nitro. That didn't come to fruition. Um, so my flirtations with Major League Pro Wrestling uh, have been few and far between. I am quite content to, to make my weird flavor of wrestling off in the corner. Nevertheless, while I was at the Performance Center, um, one thing that really came into view was why their machine works the way it does. Being outside of it sometimes, you think to yourself, why did they make this choice? Or why why this person? Why do they make their TV this way? Uh, there are a lot of unknowns of that type. And after spending just a week there, it all made perfect sense. 
Uh, I thought, oh, I, I, now I realize exactly why it's this way. Like, of course it has to be that way. It's obvious. Like, why didn't I see that? And here I am, a multiple decade veteran of professional wrestling. Just being in it for a little bit gave me such an appreciation for how hard everyone there is working. It's a gigantic hulking machine. And yes, sometimes parts in that machine malfunction and fail. And they've got to be swapped out for new parts. And sometimes those new parts, they don't work as flawlessly as the old parts do, etc., etc. But I came away from that experience with such an admiration for the work ethic of everybody involved, top to bottom throughout the organization. Sometimes you do get the impression when you watch WWE that maybe, oh, that nobody there really cares, right? I remember hearing that refrain often when it seemed like the outcry from the fan base was, we want more Daniel Bryan. And yet uh, the WWE's direction at the time was not more Daniel Bryan. And I think perhaps that, as just one of many examples, created a feeling among fans like, oh, they don't listen to us, or they don't really care, or they're so worried about Whatever, whatever, right? Whatever those XYZ motives are. And the reality is, uh, all of us as consumers of wrestling, we sometimes perhaps want to imagine that there are, I don't know, a grand conspiracy or there's some, you know, like really, um, <laughs> like some salacious, sexy reason why something is not happening, right? Like we've all got our personal theories about that. And usually it just boils down to the simplest and dumbest answer of all. That's really why things happen the way that they do. It was it was great to be part of that for a little while. I felt very flattered that they made me an offer to join their staff full-time, but relocating to Orlando, Florida is just not in the cards for me right now. Um, nevertheless, it was very validating to feel like they saw enough in my work to want me to become a coach with them, and uh, that meant a lot to me. Something important that I think I left with the people at the Performance Center and uh, I got to teach all the different groups. I spent time with the beginners, I spent time with the intermediate group, and I spent time with the advanced group and those performing on the NXT house shows. Um, on my last day there, uh, I was lucky enough during the uh, the production meeting that takes place before the doors open, I was given the floor by the coaches who were there, Terry Taylor and my old friend Sarah Del Rey, to speak to the group. And... Um, when Sarah Del Rey, before departing for the WWE, and she is the assistant coach under Matt Bloom there, she wrestled for years and years at Chikara. And uh, she was also a trainer alongside me at my wrestle factory before she left for the WWE. Um, she had a fond recollection of my ability to sometimes give very effective pep talks. And she said, I think this crew needs to hear from you on this particular day. We were just in some small town in Florida. They were not expecting a very big crowd. And a lot of the people felt down in the mouth about it. You know, NXT, they're a hot brand. Why are we only drawing 120 people in, you know, Nowheresville, Florida? And they felt a little depressed about this, that they were going to have to go out there and do their very best tonight, knowing that the house would not even be half full. So I had a chance to get up in front of them and remind them of the value of the work, of what it is that we do, and how we must craft the performance ultimately in service to the customer. It can be very easy sometimes to craft a wrestling match that serves us. It pleases us because maybe later we want to go back and watch the footage of our match and feel pleased that, oh, I did this cool move or I got to do fill in the blank here. But really, our responsibility as performers are to the paying customers. It's to the patrons of our art form. And that's why I eschew what I think are very odious terms like mark or work. Um, I think these are outdated carny terms that are irrelevant to our performance art in 2018. And I said to them, you know, out here tonight, somewhere in the audience, statistically speaking, 
there's going to be someone that's suffering from crippling depression. And maybe this is the only time they get out of their house where they can be lost in an anonymous crowd where no one will single them out or anything so that they have an opportunity to enjoy this weird, wonderful art form that we all love. Make your performance today for that person. How can you gear it better toward the people who really need professional wrestling in their lives? And don't concern yourself with how full the house is or if there are more empty chairs than there are full chairs. There are people coming here tonight to see pro wrestling who desperately need the exact thing that only we can make. And that it's our responsibility to these people if we expect them to continue to patronize our art form and to empower us to live out our dreams in the ring that we do right by them. And I think my message was really well received by the NXT performers who maybe never gave that a moment's thought. Um, not to uh, toot your horn, but I find you a great public speaker, or a great persuasive speaker. And a lot of that, in my opinion, from the public speaking I've done in my past has to show a lot of empathy. Now, having mm -hmm. said that, has there been a moment where you're trying your best to empathize with another wrestler, but he's just not getting it and you got to give him a little bit of hard knocks? Can you explain a situation like that? Yeah, and that can be a little frustrating. Um, I have, you know, I've got my own personal approach and my own kind of theories and philosophy about wrestling, which I think you've probably heard plenty of uh, over the course of the last 40 minutes, give or take. And sometimes that just doesn't reach people. Uh, and I've gotten to a point where I've got to make this decision. I could just walk away, you know, like I, I, if you, for whatever reason, just cannot ingest what it is that I've got to say, um, you know, am I wasting my breath? And there were people early on in my career that tried to give me very valuable advice, but they delivered it in a way that I couldn't hear what they were saying. It's not that they weren't speaking English, but it was that I really just could not hear what they were saying because of how they delivered it to me. And my approach to wrestling does not work for everybody. It absolutely does not. And I usually have to make that decision like, do I really need to kind of hard knuckle this thing or do I need to just walk away? Because maybe this same message just delivered to you by someone else using different words or in a different, uh, in a different context will resonate with you because I can tell from that blank look on your face that what I'm saying means nothing to you whatsoever. I mean, I have that every time I teach a seminar, there's somebody who I can just watch as they tune me out as the class goes on. And I mean, that's a shame, right? Like I, I want to be there in service to everybody. And yet the reality is not everyone will take away the same from any class, from any book, you know, from any piece of work, whatever it might be. And sometimes you do just kind of have to uh, be very blunt, uh, which I, generally speaking, I, I don't have much of a taste for that. I feel like I've really got to be at the end of all my tick, all my different tricks and tips and everything else when I just have to be very, very blunt with someone. And yet every once and again, that's what it needs, right? You, being subtle will not get it done. You've got to be about as subtle as a brick to the groin if you want to get your message across. Generally speaking, though, I would rather it not go that way. <laughs> well, Mike, looking into the future, um, who are some of the top talents that you have recognized that uh, anybody who's listening to this podcast should probably put a, keep an eye on? Wow. Well, it's, it's really difficult to single one out of the pack by the very virtue of, you know, Chikara is such a tightly knit ensemble. And 
if what I've said has gotten you to be a little bit curious, we release tons of free video content on our YouTube channel. That's a really easy way to start to stick your toe into the pool and discover if what we make might be for you. Or try our streaming service. It's free for a week, Chikaratopia.com, where you can see 800-plus hours all the way back to Season 1 of Chikara if you want to start to you know explore our weird universe a bit. I would struggle to kind of say, oh, just watch this person or this tag team or this trio, something like that it would be very, very hard. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, while some of the talent is ascending, it doesn't become obvious. Like this person might eventually become a star on a bigger stage. I think that way about those who graduated completely from my program. It was obvious toward the end that Claudio Castagnoli was about to become a big deal, and indeed he has become a big deal as Cesaro. Or we all felt that way about Drew Gulak as well. Or even those that don't necessarily graduate from the Wrestle Factory, but come to my school as a finishing school of sorts, like Heidi Lovelace did before she got hired to be Ruby Riot, or Luke Harper, or any of these other people that have come through my program over the years. Um, it might be fun for you to explore it and kind of discover, oh... This person really does have something very special, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them turn up on the big stage sometime soon. Certainly, there are tons of easy, free, accessible ways to start to explore Chikara, and our YouTube channel or our streaming service are just two of them. And you also have this great book, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer. Um, if there was one key that you just want to leave us with that is important or a chapter that you want us to focus on, what would that chapter be? Well, what I write about at the very end of the book is a certain fearlessness, which kind of goes back to what I wrote on the very first page about uh, Jamie Campbell, the stand-up and improviser uh, who inspires some of my work. Uh, and I think it was, it's an important lesson that I tried to leave behind when I was at the Performance Center, and it's one that I impart to all of my trainees, is that you need a willingness to fail as a professional wrestler. And sometimes there is this pressure, right? We must always go out to steal the show. We must always go out to succeed. And yes, that's a very worthy ideal. Those are worthy goals to have. And it doesn't matter how you perform. Maybe you perform on a podcast. Maybe you perform in a band. Or maybe you perform in a wrestling ring. But you must be willing to go out and fail, to experiment, to try something new. Uh, when I see all of my favorite musical artists, they're often out there on stage not just playing their greatest hits, but also, here's a track off our new album. Because those new works are important. That's how we evolve as performers. That's how we grow. And we grow when we fail. If all you do are those things that you know always work all the time, then you aren't being risky enough. You aren't being brave enough. You've got to go out on stage and be willing to fail, to balance yourself on that razor's edge between failure and success. And if you can't bear the prospect of failure, you will never truly succeed. Well, there's no better way to end with that great message. Uh, Mike, it was a pleasure to have you on A Shot of Wrestling. If anybody listening wanted to follow more, you already mentioned the Shakara platforms that, that uh, we could go ahead and follow. But where can we follow you personally? Well, I am on Twitter. I'm at Mike Quackenbush. If you find me on Facebook, that's bogus. That's not me. Um, it's ridiculous to me how many times I have to report those pages. But uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Mike Quackenbush. And who knows, I might be coming around to teach at a wrestling school near you. As I mentioned, I don't put on the sparkly pants very often anymore and get out to perform. It does take a very tempting or otherwise sincere offer to convince me to do so. And my latest book, 
Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, a book that I did write for fellow pro wrestlers, but in reality might have value for anyone who performs in any walk of life, is available right now on Amazon.com. You can get a physical copy delivered to you probably by drone if you've got that sweet Amazon Prime. Otherwise, they'll deliver it to your mobile device in seconds. I'd love to hear your feedback about it. And if the book is to your liking, I produced a free podcast as a companion piece. It's called Kayfabe 2.0, and it further explores some of the aspects of performing as a pro wrestler. You might enjoy that, too. Well, thank you very much, Mike. It was a pleasure once again having you here on A Shot of Wrestling. We have something that's really important and dear to us, which it kind of just ends our show. So do you mind just staying uh, on a little while longer for last call? Yeah, great. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for Last Call with yours truly, Mike Quackenbush. It's In the News with Michael J. Putty. Another great interview by Green Man with the help of Jeff. Mike, thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us here at A Shot of Wrestling. You know, that might be one of my favorite interviews. I'm about to give it another listen. So, uh, that's again. Let's get some news. According to a Middle Eastern News Twitter account, the WWE is set to return to Saudi Arabia this November. The Riyadh Report, a Twitter account from which focuses on news from the area, has reported that WWE will return to the nation's capital, Riyadh, in November. So what event will that be? Will it be the greatest Survivor Series ever? So stay tuned. Twitch out wrestling will find out more. Now the news, Hulk Hogan may be returning to WWE sooner rather than later. And a story that will never die. Three years after being fired, according to a report by TMZ, Hogan might come back. Hogan was reportedly requested by a number of Saudi royal family members to appear at the greatest Royal Rumble. Whilst Hogan didn't appear, obviously, it seems that request sparked somewhat of a dialogue between the two, which is going well, according to TMZ. If this return is to occur, however, you know, both parties want to make sure this return, you know, was quote unquote done right, the right way wishing to be both sensible to those he offended and also wanting to demonstrate that he's a changed man. Now, I said this is, what, three years ago now? I think everyone's moved past this. Everyone who was hurt by it has moved on. Kim coming back might, you know, reignite some old wounds. But, you know, forgive and forget, everyone deserves a second chance. So, hoping the Hulk comes back and, like I said, done in the right way. Moving on, Jake the Snake Roberts has made peace with Davey Boy Smith Jr. over an incident that took place back in WrestleCon, you know, where Smith, remember, threw a cup of hot coffee in the man's face. Well, the snake himself has dropped all charges. However, it's being reported that despite the fact that all charges have been dropped, Smith is still wanted by the New Orleans Police Department. An NOPD representative issued the following statement, and I quote, Since it's a municipal charge, the victim can withdraw all charges by going through the city's attorney office once the perpetrator has been located and either arrested or issued a summons. As far as we are aware, Smith is still wanted at this time. In other news, after working on a part-time basis since 2015, Martin Stone has reportedly signed a full-time WWE contract. Stone wrestled his final independent match against Josh Briggs and delivered his farewell speech. His previous deal allowed him to work both independent date as well as NXT brand dates, but now he will work exclusively with the WWE. Congratulations to Martin Stone. Future is bright for him. Great signee. In other news, Leo Rush is set to get into the music industry. He's debuting a new single, which is set to be released pretty soon. He made the announcement on Twitter alongside his producer, Troy Andretti. Uh, there's currently no release date on said single, but the video's already been shot. 
So we'll keep you updated on that. Now, bear with me, folks, for the next couple of news topics are for your boys' own entertainment and other news. The announcement to bring back the XFL was made back in January. However, there really hasn't been much news since. Now we can report the Orlando Sentinel is reporting that the XFL is interested in having Orlando host a team. According to the report, WWE Senior Vice President John Sabor reached out to Alan Johnson, the director of Orlando Venues, regarding the possibility. And I quote, We were told that there was a preliminary high-level interest in Orlando and they would get back to us at a later date. They did mention in the call that they were aware of the other league, you know, the North American Lions, whatever it's called, and felt the Orlando market could support two teams. I'm not too sure about that. Half the population is tourists. 20% 20% is people who work at those theme parks. 20% are people who work for the WWE or NXT or people who want to work for the WWE or NXT. And the other 10% are people who just want to get the fuck out of Orlando. I had a team, the original XFL, so I'm assuming they'll be back. I just can't wait for these teams to be announced in the cities. New York's got to be on there. Come on, New York, New Jersey, Hitman, come back. Well, once again, let me just go on with the Michael J. Putty news of the week. Because talking about the XFL, what's better than talking about the XFL? Let's talk about Batista. Batista's in the news, my man Batista. You know, we reported back a couple weeks ago how Batista was one of the guys who was in consideration to be Ronda Rousey's tag team partner between The Rock. I think The Rock couldn't make it, so they went to Batista. Well, Batista was under the impression that he would be returning, but the W officials, including Triple H and Stephanie themselves, reportedly stopped communicating altogether with Batista about these said plans. Batista also stated that if the W WWE does not bring him back for WrestleMania 35 next year here in New York. He won't be interested in returning ever again. And I quote, I just don't want to be that old guy in the ring. I don't want to overstay my welcome. I just want to end my career the right way. And next year will be the last opportunity. So if you, you can't make something happen next year, then I'm going to officially hang him up. I'm okay doing it for myself. So I don't need to be out there. I just, I love it out there. Even though the fans totally crapped on me last time, I will still go back in the heartbeat and love to entertain them. I will have fun doing it. Man, I'll be happy there. But I just don't get it, man. I, I just don't get that company. I just don't understand. You know, Dave, I don't either. The animal wants to work for this company. Why not bring him back? One of the biggest stars you guys had in the last 15 years. That's not named John Cena. Just imagine Batista, Triple H, WrestleMania 35. That was the original plan. This was supposed to come back. Team was on the Rousey. And over the next course of the year, feud a tease, a match with Triple H, which leading to WrestleMania 35, Triple H versus Batista, a match I want to see. But no, they fucked it up. I just and didn't even give him a call saying we're going in a different route. Just totally ghosted him. That girl's one arm from last week ghosted me. Mm, Batista, man, deserve better than that. But if WrestleMania 35 is your last chance to get into the ring, please. We know for a fact here at the show, people at the ER listening to what we're talking about. Whatever is going on, make sure you sign Batista for one more match at WrestleMania 35. I'm going to be there. I want to see Batista's last match. Make sure you sign Batista, man. Future Hall of Famer deserve a lot better than that. Yeah, come on. What the fuck's the problem here? I got you back, Dave. At Michael J. Putty. In other news, as I talked about last week, another update. Titus O'Neill and the WWE were defendants in a lawsuit filed by a former cameraman who claims he got injured during a filming of Swerved. Well, WWE filed a motion in the United States District Court, Middle District of Florida, to have themselves dismissed as a defendant in the lawsuit as they claim the state of Florida has no jurisdiction over the Connecticut-based company. Yeah, that makes sense. We'll keep you updated. In other news, according to WNetworkNews.com, old episodes of Sunday Night Heat will be added to the network starting May 7th. So if you're a fan of Sunday Night Heat, come to the network to so make sure you check it out in other news. Talk about this on our social medias at A Shot of Wrestling on Instagram and Facebook. Shot of Wrestling No A on Twitter. Kane, Glenn Jacobs won the Republican primary for the nomination of mayor 
of Knox County. Story been following since it broke last year. He will now run against Linda Haney, who was the Democratic opponent in the general election. Knox County historically runs red, so many are predicting that Kane, Glenn Jacobs, I'm sorry, will win the election easily. So, you know, as, as we've been doing all along, we will keep you updated as we follow the story very closely. And finally, in other news, a couple weeks ago, it's this close. You can't see it, but it's very close to buying WWE stock. And of course, I'm kicking myself in the ass for not doing it because WWE stock has reached an all-time high this week, climbing to a share price of $41.00. And 60 cents. The increase in price immediately came after the first quarter earnings of 2018 were released, which this man was very happy about. Since January 2018, W stock has increased 31% and has increased 106% from May 2017, a year ago. So, WE might be where you want to put your money at. That's it for the news this week. Let's get into some lackluster tears and heels. A shot of wrestling presents Raw and SmackDown here and here. So for being both the fallout from the greatest Royal Rumble and the go-home show to Backlash, you know, not for nothing, both Raw and SmackDown sucked. Both were lame. Let's get right into it. Get this over with quickly. We're going to heal Kurt Angle. You're the damn general manager of Raw. You could overturn that decision, man. How can the decision that is clearly wrong, even the ref himself said he got it wrong, with Roman Reigns' feet touching first, how, how is that still allowed? I mean, yeah, the ref got it wrong, but the referees and umpires in base, basketball, baseball get it wrong all the time, and football, but those decisions are overturned. Now, the controversy at the end of that cage match was intentional, but however, I can report that Roman Reigns' feet touching the floor before Barack Lesnar's was not, that was completely accidental, so I don't know where they're going with this, but come on. Let's kayfabe it up here, man. You're the general manager. You can overturn that. Damn, man. I was going to heal this Bobby Roode injury. Elias threw him into the turnbuckle. His chest hit the turnbuckle buckle itself, and he went down clutching his throat. The turnbuckle buckle was nowhere near his throat. Come on. We're not that stupid. And you're playing over and over again in slow motion. We see it maybe his upper chest. Not for nothing, side cheer here. It's rare that you see the actual turnbuckle buckle being used as a weapon. It's usually the post where they take the turnbuckle pad off. It's that, you know, the corner ring. Not the turnbuckle buckle itself. So, very innovative. Good job thinking outside the box there. Something different. I'm going to heal Mick James for Santalia. You know, great woman. Love to see this match. They only got three minutes. Wait a minute. Did I just say three minutes? These two veterans, these two women who can go in the ring, only got three minutes, and they deserve a lot longer than that. You know, not for nothing. Maybe if you shorten something like, I don't know, out of thin air here, no way Jose's entrance, just a bit, they can get more time. You know, side heel, no way Jose's entrance. Too long, too Adam Rosich. I'm done with it. I'm done with him. Once again, Raw sucked. Let's move on to SmackDown, which was better. Not that much better, though. Cheers. You know, Lana finally dropping that accent. Lana with the Russian accent worked. It was hot, it was sexy, it was great, until she was on Total Divas and dropped the accent, and then I see her on TV with the accent, didn't correlate, didn't make sense, it was stupid. Although, side heel here, her trying to break up Rusev and any English. Bitch, you can't break up Rusev Day, because every day is Rusev Day. Rusev Day! 
please, please don't end Rusev Day. Please don't let this lead to infighting and the disintegration of one of the hottest things you got going on in either brand. Way too early to break them up right now. Once again, I got to heal, man. Okay, enough's enough. Enough would knock him over. And these low blows, all these low blows, and he gets rewarded with a match that lets him use these low blows? Why is he being rewarded for him breaking the rules? Makes no sense. You know, another side heel is, like, what, what's his obsession with AJ Styles' crotchal region? What, for the last, what, four weeks? Five weeks, he's been hitting him in the groin? Let it go, buddy. Let it go. You're a badass. We all know it. Every week, you don't have to hit that, okay? Take a, take a week off. AJ Styles and his boys take a night off, too. But, yeah, him breaking the rules, skirting the rules, he gets rewarded. Makes no sense. Heal. I need one more heal just to fill time. The end of absolution. We saw it coming. Makes sense. I'm hoping many rows... And Daria, once again, I'm drawing a blank in her name, still remain as a cohesive unit, but let's see what happens. But yeah, that was the fallout from the Royal Rumble. That was the go-home show to Backlash, and that's all I got. Both shows were lackluster. They did not do anything to build the matches for Backlash. They did not do anything to wrap up the matches at the Royal Rumble. So that kind of just happened. Plus, see how they delivered in the ratings Raw this week drew a 3.066 million, which is down 1.2% from last week's 3.104 million. Raw was number three in the night in viewership for cable behind the NBA playoffs and Hannity. Raw was number two in the 18 to 49 demographic behind the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs topped the night around 7 million in viewers for the night. SmackDown this week drew a 2.436 million, which is also down from last week's 2.54 million. And it's the lowest audience of the show for 2018. SmackDown was number five in viewership for the night behind two airings of the NBA playoffs, Hannity and Rachel Maddow. SmackDown was number four in the ninth in the 18 to 49 demographic behind the NBA playoffs and inside the NBA. The NBA playoffs drew more than 10 million viewers across both airings on Tuesday night. Impact this week drew a 299,000, which is down 3% from last week's 308,000. Impact ranked at 124 on the cable top 150 this week. Last week, they drank 118. If you see a pattern here, the NBA playoffs topped the night, 18 to 49 demographic and viewership combined with more than 10 million viewers across three airings. So neither show had a shot. Everyone's invested in the NBA playoffs, including Irwin, the voice Escobar, who made his prediction a while back. And, and soon I will go back to see if his prediction actually, in fact, came true or not. Are you following the NBA playoffs? Let us know what you think. Let's know if your team's in it. Let's know your predictions. Inbox at ashotwrestling.com. And we'll share your thoughts and predictions in an upcoming episode. Well, that's it for this week. Let's get ready to watch Backlash. If you want to watch Backlash with, you know, friends, family, rowdy crowds, make sure you go to the Crown Room on Bell Boulevard in Bayside, Queens. Your boys here at Ashotwrestling Wrestling will be hosting a viewing party yet again for Backlash. Once again, there is no cover. There are drink specials and also food specials. So come thirsty, come hungry, and come ready to yell, cheer, and scream at your favorites and those you hate. And you know, hang out with a bunch of rowdy wrestling fans and get drunk on a Sunday night. But Backlash, this is the point where I go over the card. The card isn't worth going over. The women's matches have had somewhat of a decent build. AJ Styles versus Nakamura has a decent build, but everything else is snorefest. No build, no reasoning. Who cares? That's backlash in a nutshell. So the show's going to suck. But what will make it better? Drinking, chanting, fighting, cheering with your fellow wrestling fans at the Crown Room on Bell Boulevard in Bayside, Queens. 
We host a viewing party every pay-per-view, so come out, enjoy it, just check it out. We guarantee you have a good time. That's all for this week. That's all for episode 115. My go-home thoughts this week. Congratulations to Zack Ryder. My man Zack Ryder received a special award from YouTube. He received the Silver Play Button Plaque Award for surpassing 100,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. You know, despite barely using it for the past seven years, he has not been active on that heavily since the Z True Long Island story ended in 2011 when WWE took it over on their YouTube and that show went to shit. He had a couple episodes of a new show that didn't really go anywhere. So congratulations to him. You know, good things come to those who wait. So give me 10 years. I hope to get an award for the podcasting YouTube award things, whatever that award I'm getting. I expect to get one. That's it for this week. Episode 115 is in the books. Thank you once again to Mike Quackenbush for your time. Great interview. Go back and listen to it over and over again. Well worth listening. So for him, Mike Quackenbush, for Green Man, I have been your host at Michael J. Putty. Until next week, Putty out. It's last call, and we have Mike Quackenbush back here with us. So, Mike, this is how it goes. First thing that comes out of your head when I read the question is the first thing you should answer. Are you ready? I'm ready. And away we go. What is your favorite adult beverage? Root beer. What is the worst job you've ever had? Working at McDonald's. What was your favorite sitcom growing up? Mr. Belvedere. Nice. Other than wrestling, what is your favorite sport? Ooh, I don't know that I have another. That's a, wow, that is a great question. Uh, the only other thing that even resembles a sports show that I've seen in the last five years is the Harlem Globetrotters. All right. Um, who is your favorite wrestler? Jushin Thunder Liger. What is your go-to song at karaoke? <laughs> Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohn. Uh, what is your biggest pet peeve in wrestling? Uh, when I tell people who I am and they don't answer by telling me their name. And finally, what is the one thing that you would want to be buried with? To be buried with? Wow, that's very ominous. Um, I don't know. Wow, that seems like a really profound question. What's the one thing I would want to be buried with? Uh, maybe holding a photo of the people I love most in this world. I love it. Thank you, Mike Quackenbush. It was a pleasure having you on the show and look forward to seeing you again. Thanks, guys. Hey, baby, I hear the bell ringing, hip tosses and body slams. Oh, my. And maybe you seem a bit confused. Yeah, baby, but I got you pinned. Ha, 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 ha. But I don't know what to do when I see them with that golden case. They're cashing it in. Authority all in my face. What is a man to do? Good night, everybody. <laughs>